welcome to another episode of Whiskey and Mash. Okay, welcome back to this week's episode of Whiskey and Mash. If that intro played a little bit longer than usual, my apologies. We don't have a playback device. We're recording on laptop because uh, this week I am Chris Pullman and I am Laura Pullman standing in for Gloria Ackerman who is on her way back from France this week and so we are recording in the living room to try and not wake up the baby. Who is napping? Yeah so there's a, a closet a couple of closets between us and her so this should work out better. Uh, this week we'll be reviewing Season 6, Episode 5, The Winchester Tapes, and Season 6, Episode 6, The Light That Failed. Should I just do sure. both? Because I mean, I didn't see you taking notes unless you were doing it mentally. Mentally, but <laughs> yeah, I'll let you. Okay. So, The Winchester Tapes. Essentially, uh, the main uh, plot point here, Charles is uh, recording a letter home to his parents. And we just kind of see the antics that are going on around Charles that are making him want to get out of there more and more and more. Uh, in the end, same thing, Charles still wants to get out of there. Uh, some of the things that happen along the way that we'll talk about. Um, BJ decides to mess with Charles' <laughs> head a little bit. Uh, what else? Charles tries to get in good with Colonel Potter and Radar. Neither of those work. And then kind of the B-plot uh, running through this, which isn't very prominent, is that uh, Hawkeye had uh, been, what shall we say? Uh, uh, he got a booty call. Yeah, he got turned down by this nurse previously, and then she sent him a letter. She's no longer engaged. And the door that was closed was wide open, and she made, in his words, a three-day pass at him. <laughs> so he's trying to get to Seoul to meet up with this nurse, and uh, ends up never actually making it. So, uh, some more specifics about the episode. As Laura yawns, Sorry. and I bring up the page. Um, let's see if there's actually the nurse's name, because I think it's Nurse Nancy Gilmore. Sounds about right. Uh, yeah. I'm pretty sure it was a Nancy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm going to go with Nancy Gilmore. <laughs> I, I'm not finding it in here right now. Okay. Uh, and uh, I forgot about kind of a third little subplot here. Uh, Klinger is delivering the mail in the episode, and uh, <laughs> Charles is reading about a nephew which, by the way, couldn't have happened yet. So that's, we find that out later. His only sister, Honoria, does not have any children. She's not yeah. married, and he has no other siblings. Hmm. So that's a gaffe. But, nonetheless... It is 70s TV. They didn't expect people to be watching it like yeah. we watch TV nowadays. Yeah. But, um, apparently, uh, she... Or his nephew got out of the army because of fainting spells. Mm -hmm. Everything would start Turn to go... Dark red. Then it would get dizzy. Yeah. Then he would black out and faint. 
And so Klinger heard this and... Tried it. <laughs> and the, Klinger, when you faint, you fall forward. <laughs> oh, sorry, sir. Thank you. Because <sighs> he falls back on Charles' bunk first, then he gets up and falls forward onto Hawkeye's bunk. Hey, somebody delivered me a person. <laughs> <laughs> I love that line, too. Um, so that's when Hawkeye discovers that um, he was getting this three-day pass from um, from the nurse and um, he he's trying to get to Seoul mm-hmm. but Charles reminds him you have OD all weekend and Hawk just says Beach you take it I can't I'm on post-op all weekend Charles no as a friend not even as an enemy <laughs> OD, odious duty. I've done mine. Come on, Charles. Every day's a holiday in Korea. <laughs> yeah, well, I... he doesn't want to do weekends. That's yeah. why the holiday. Yeah. It's just the thought. But Hawkeye eventually wears him down. So uh, Charles agrees to take it. But then we end up just getting patience. Mm-hmm. So Hawkeye keeps getting delayed and delayed. And even though it's, at the end, uh, Charles calls it a 28-hour day. I 34. Think. 30, it was 8. It ended in 8. It so was 38-hour 38. 38 day. It was in the 30s, I remember. It, it seemed like a week had gone by yeah. with everything that was going on. But nonetheless, you know, it was a long time of just right. Hawkeye not being able to go, not being able to go, not being able to go. Because at first, he's in his uh, dress uniform he's just about ready he's trying to get stuff and uh he ends up trying to steal charles uh pajamas yeah they end up just tearing the legs apart (laughs) charles just throws them around his neck (laughs) yeah with my compliments (laughs) but then you know hawkeye has that and all of a sudden the war comes back Mm mm-hmm as everybody's rushing to get to OR, Hawkeye just stands up and goes, No, no, Soul, Nightingales, <laughs> Nurse Gilmore. And BJ just grabs him by the arm. No, no, OR, sutures, blood, scalpels. <laughs> Which I thought was a great one. That was line. really good. Um, Charles, trying to endear himself to Potter, gets uh, allows Potter to paint him. Which is a neat little scene. Yeah, your ears are really hard to paint. My father's. <laughs> oh, he had big ears too, huh? <laughs> Potter said it in a very non-flattering, low-class way, and you could tell Charles was not yeah. enthused. Is it just me, or did Potter almost seem to, when Charles came on, Potter seemed a little more classy before, and it almost, like... He's anti-class to almost show, like, look at how, what, you know, Charles is so ritzy snobby, and then you've got these guys. Maybe, but I've always viewed Potter more as one of the guys anyway. Yeah, he definitely is uh, very much one of the guys. You know, and then they also portray him in a very cowboy-like manner, which seems to be 
not very snooty anyway. It's true. Like That's he, true. He's much more of the land. Yeah, I would than... never. Yeah, I would never call Potter snooty. He just seems more like. I don't know. Yeah. Ever well, since Trials came along, I don't really know how to describe it. Just more. Well, yeah, and I guess in my mind, um, you know, when we first saw Potter, mm-hmm. our very first episode of season. four, no, the second episode of season four, Change right. of Command. Yep. Uh, when Potter shows up, he is very buttoned up yeah. by the book. But then even by the end of that, you know, he allows Klinger to go back into dresses. That's true. He's drinking with the surgeons in the swamp. That's true. And he tells them how to improve their still. That's so, No, yeah, I get to that. To get a better yield. Yeah. And so he, he did come in a lot more, you know, tight, but mm-hmm. he... I think part of that is that he's loosened up over the course of this. He has. You know. He definitely has. Because even last season with Frank Burns, it was mm-hmm. like Potter's telling Frank to shut up and all this yeah. stuff that, you know, I I was shocked to hear him do as mm-hmm. a CEO. Yeah. So I'm I'm not sure. To me that's just who Potter is. Okay. But I have the the baggage of knowing Potter in season eleven. Right. <laughs> Whereas I don't think you've really known Potter as well, even yeah. though he is the longest serving CEO. And I've seen episodes of MASH here and there when I was a kid on TV land, mm-hmm. but this is, yeah, my first time sitting down and watching them all the way through. Yeah, and I, to me that's just who Potter is, honestly. is, mm-hmm. But I, I do see that dichotomy that you're talking about right. where even though, you know, arguably Potter has been a doctor for longer. Right. And he knows more and he should be better at it just Mm -hmm. because, you know, just like uh, uh, we're both programmers, just like an older programmer will be better at it. They won't always know the latest stuff. Right, but you've been through the trenches. You've got an idea of how to get around an issue or a bug that Mm -hmm. you've seen something similar possibly in the Mm -hmm. past. You know where to find the answer. You know something that should work. You just have to figure out how to do it. So Potter has that, but Charles is always an aristocrat. Right. You know, he always brings that with him, and Potter is always that gentle country doctor. Okay. You know, in my mind, that's the separation is, like, I think Potter even talks about it in the later series where he just wants to go home and hang out his shingle where he's just the town's doctor, and it Mm -hmm. says... The doctor is in on the front of the shingle, and on the back, out fishing. Mm-hmm. And that's it. So. But I can definitely see where you're coming from. Um, but yeah, Charles lets Potter paint him, which is, it's interesting, because apparently Potter is, you know, early on in this process of painting him. Radar comes in. Colonel, that's amazing. Who, Who is it? Guess. I better go shine your horse. <laughs> Polish your horse. Yeah. But um, no, he's painting Charles, and Charles was sitting there just very... Still and... You know, nose up, chin up, aristocratic. And then um, all of a sudden he starts getting really hot-faced when he's asking Potter about, You haven't lifted a finger to get me out of here. No, and I won't because I need you. You know, this sort of thing. And... Don't change your face. I'm out of umber. And I'm out of patience. This place is wearing away my surgical skills. 
And um, all of a sudden, Potter's done with his picture. Yeah. And it's a picture of... of um, Charles. Charles yelling, yelling at him. So, it, you know, it, it obviously was for the laugh factor, but it's like, yeah. you couldn't have finished it that way. <laughs> if you did, it's a very insulting portrait because you started out with painting him, him with him yelling. Yeah. Um, the next thing we see Charles do is try to endear himself to Radar by bringing Radar. Grape knee high. A whole... Case of it. Yeah. Which, by the way, um, something that I noticed here that I don't know how many young people these days would catch it, but Radar had a bottle opener on his desk. Yeah, under his desk. Because bottles needed a bottle opener on the desk. Yeah. Like, you, you needed a bottle opener to open those. Nothing was, like, twist off. I mean, even the doctors, when they're opening a beer, they have to yep. use a... a a pry thing mm-hmm. and pop their own holes in the top of the can. Well, like, um, that, and that just reminded me, and this, uh, this can make me sound really old. Not that old. Um, but when I was growing up, we had a bottle opener on the side. In the kitchen where I grew up, there's like a peninsula. Mm-hmm. And there was a bottle opener on the edge of the peninsula. Okay. It was like a little, and it kind of hung there. And yeah. it, was a, it was a pull tab. And then there was a catcher on the yeah. bottom. It mm-hmm. was like a triangle with like a, a so you would put your, because all the soda was in glass bottles. You'd, um, you know, open up your soda and the, the cap would fall in the catcher. Yeah. No, exactly right, and that's exactly what Radar does. Yeah. But it's, I love the scene because, you know, Charles brings that in and says, anything for a friend. And then as he starts to ask Radar to put in a call mm-hmm. to Tokyo, Radar says, no calls to Tokyo. <laughs> Colonel's orders. Um, and he starts to say something, or Ra- Charles starts to say something else. I can't remember what it is. Radar stops him again. And then Charles goes, Corporal. Can you tell me what I'm about to say right now? Sir, I wouldn't use that kind of language. <laughs> I promised Father Mulcahy that, <laughs> that I wouldn't. Yeah, that was just yeah, great. Radar kept finishing Charles' sentences. Because he's Radar. And, and, he's, and Charles even looked at him and he's like, that's why they call me Radar. Mm-hmm. But um, then, you know, Charles just picks up the crate of Great Knee High after Radar took one and opened it. Or no, Charles walks out in a huff. Yeah. Radar opens one. Charles comes back, takes the one out of Radar's hand, puts it back in the crate, and brings the crate out of the door. Yeah. So, clearly a bribe. Yeah. Clearly didn't work. <laughs> um, let's see here, what else? Oh, yeah, during the letter, Charles tells his dad to talk to the Brigadier General, who is now the doorman at the plaza. He seems like he knows Arthur Godfrey. Okay. Yeah. Um, later, he says, "Dad, talk to Senator Baxter. You paid good money for him." <laughs> yeah. Um, Get me the hell out of here. Yeah. Um, after surgery, Charles is taking his time like he usually does. Hawkeye is complaining because I could have been to Seoul three hours ago. Mm-hmm. But then we see Hawkeye plastering a leg. Yeah. And it is just. All like he is covered in his dress uniform. Yeah, his dress uniform is covered in plaster. BJ has some. The walls, the ceiling have some. Mm -hmm. And um, Potter comes in. Hawkeye pulls out some of his French because Alan Alda knows French. 
So he was pulling out some of that, and he's like, Speaking of Paris, Colonel, that's our grandfather clock, by the way. It's 12 o'clock, too, so you're going to get the most things. We'll just wait. That's okay. There you go, 12. Or was it 13? If it's 13, we need to get it looked at. Um, <laughs> but Potter walks in, and Hawkeye makes some comment about, if I'm not uh, in Soul Toot Sweet, you're going to have an unknown soldier on your hands. Something, And then something about... Um, he needs to get there avec du jour. I, I can't remember exactly what he said, but it was it was French. It wouldn't be that, yeah, because that's with the day. Yeah, uh, but Hawkeye knows, like, Alan Alda knows French, mm-hmm. so I trust that what he said was actually yeah. a French phrase oh, yeah. and not just ad-libbing something that sounded like it. Um, but Potter says he'll take over for Hawkeye, takes the patient, and then, was it Kelly? Or was it another nurse that walked in and said, uh, BJ, we have to... I think it was a different nurse. Different nurse. BJ, your patient. And he needs to open him back up. So then Hawkeye has to take over for BJ. And Potter just says, I'm sorry. And Hawkeye says, what? I'm a foot closer to Seoul. <laughs> um, the other thing that I really like seeing in that episode was that we, we get another glimpse on bj being the prankster that he is Mm -hmm. because he gets a different uniform for charles oh yeah and it's about what three 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 sizes too big yeah it's just hanging on it makes him look like he's really super thin and um so then they get him to start eating more to try and fill out. You know, BJ says, you have to start to use internal propaganda because the food here is awful. But thankfully, my wife is a horrible cook, so I was good at it already. Here, try some of her crumb cake. This is pretty good. Oh, you catch on quick. Here, have some more. No, no, I couldn't. No, no, please take the whole thing. And so they're helping him shovel food down his mouth. They went to lunch or breakfast. It was breakfast Mm because they had powdered eggs. And sweet rolls. And sweet rolls. And um, uh, Charles's tray is just loaded. And Father Mulcahy sits down and they're like, oh, yeah, he's wasting away. He needs to eat more. Oh, I don't see any difference. (laughs) Yeah. And Hawkeye is just totally hard selling it, too. Um, So Charles is just chowing down. And then... About a week later, apparently, we see Hawkeye and BJ sneak into the tent, and BJ is holding another uniform. Right. And he replaces it, and Hawkeye goes, now whose are these? Levine's. Beanpole Levine's? I'm glad you're not my enemy. Don't assume. (laughs) Check the door. Here comes Charlie. (laughs) So they hide the old uniform, and then Charles is trying to put on his pants. (laughs) <laughs> and they didn't unbutton. <laughs> Did you forget how? No. I've been eating like a horse for, what was it, like four, a week? Whatever or, it was. Whatever it was. Um, I seem to have put about three inches around the middle. Ah, it's, it's time to diet. An exercise. An exercise. Now. Now. <laughs> and they push him out the door and he starts running around. It starts then, going for a run. And then Hawkeye like picks up a candy bar. So, 
What's next for him? I think I'm going to make him about three inches taller. <laughs> <laughs> and this is what I love about BJ is like, he is loyal. He's, you yeah. know, trustworthy. And... He's loyal to his wife except for the one time. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, he's loyal to his friends. Mm-hmm. He's, he's a rock in he, this show. He plays funny gigs and like those gigs that really don't actually hurt anybody. No, but they are they're funny. They, he but, does so well. But he's also quiet about it. Like Cockeye yeah. would have told on himself. Yeah. And BJ's just quiet. He just does it and Yeah. Well, like, Charlie Charles might never know that there's yeah. a prank pulled. Um the episode in season uh 4 or 5 Dear Sigmund. Mm. Um where Sydney Friedman comes and visits Mash, you know, mm-hmm. and that BJ's pulling all these pranks, you know. I mean, as far he goes as far as filling up uh, Frank's foxhole with water. That's right. Um, I remember that. You know, all of that. That's that's BJ, and nobody knows who it is. Yeah. Until Sydney Sydney catches him in the act. You you're the practical joker. Hmm, certainly looks that way, doesn't it? You want to help? <laughs> sure. What do I do? <laughs> so he is just, and nobody would expect him because yeah. he's so nice. And you know, I guess looking at that, that is one really great um, piece of plot consistency that they do carry out throughout the series. Mm-hmm. Because you look at the episode um, where is it, James Cromwell? Uh, BJ's friend who visits on his way home. Oh, yeah, he's a joker, too. Yeah, and it's like they were both practical jokers back mm-hmm. in the day, you know? Yep. And so it, it it's part of BJ's character. Yeah, the exploding cigar was kid yeah. stuff. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. they took the cigar yeah. that the guy was smoking, and then that one exploded. Yeah, so it, it's part of him, and it's great. Um, But let's see here, what else? D- during that whole bit where charles is getting into these bigger duds Hmm. Uh, another part that i really enjoyed about that where is uh p.s it's tuesday and (laughs) the nurses wash their underwear on tuesday he takes a sandwich and makes a day of it (laughs) nurse watching nudist magazine reading why this constant preoccupation with sex lack of occupation with sex (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's just one quote just because of how it's delivered by bj and just the simplicity just with a smirk on his face yeah just the simplicity of lack of occupation with sex <laughs> oh it's great yeah bj is one of my favorite characters on that mm-hmm. show for sure mm-hmm. um and then the the episode ends with pierce passed out in his bunk after, oh, yeah. all, after the 38 hour day oh, is so over. tired. Not mm-hmm. drunk, passed out, just no, tired, just, passed out. Just tired, passed out. So he doesn't end up going to Seoul. Uh, and Charles is finishing his recording to his parents. And um, he says, Mother, Father, I'm going to put this as succinctly and uh, poignantly as I can. And he's trying to pour tea out of a teapot and it's not coming. So he. Pulls the top off. Pulls a rubber chicken out. The same rubber chicken that BJ was earlier polishing. Yeah. Get me the hell out of here! So that was a nice end. That was a good ending. That was a good episode. Yeah. Um. 
Let's see here. Yeah, I think that's pretty much it here in terms of things to point out in this episode. Um, guest stars, Thomas Carter as Patient McLeod and Kimiko Hiroshige as the Korean woman. Ah, who does the laundry. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. Production code was Y107. The writers were Everett Greenbaum and Jim Fritzel. And the director was Burt Metcalf. This was originally aired October 18th, 1977. Which makes sense because Hawkeye's collar on his shirt when he was actually going to go before he passed out um, onto his bunk while Klinger was getting the Jeep was very 70s-y. It had a big old collar and it was a paisley material. Okay. Mm-hmm. Paisley print, I should say, not material. Okay, cool. Next one? Next one. Okay. Epi- uh, season 6, Episode 6, The Light That Failed. So we start in OR, and they're running low on everything. Light bulbs, uh, silk. Yep. Surgical silk, heating oil, gel foam. Whatever that is. Yeah, some sort of surgical something. Um, but, like, they're running so low on surgical silk that they're using Klinger's sewing kit to mm-hmm. sew the patient shut. Mm-hmm. So, that's how low they are on stuff. They get a shipment in, and this shipment has nothing that they can use. It, it has, has salt tabs. Yeah. And ice cream churns. And mosquito netting. And it's cold. Mm-hmm. Which, by the way, the episode prior was sweltering hot. Yeah. Um, but this episode is cold. Yeah, as I recall uh, from the other, the other MASH podcast I listened to, um, they mentioned something about how this was kind of the writers getting the actors to stop complaining about their writing. Because <laughs> the actors would complain, and then they would just write a winter episode in the middle of summer outside. Nice. So everybody had to put on parkas. And in, pretend to be cold. In 90 degree heat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess that worked. Don't mess with the writers when you're on a show. No. Um, Because they could write you off, too. Yeah. The one thing that they did get in the first supply shipment, because there is one that comes in at the end. Oh, book. Was the book The Rooster Crowed at Midnight by Abigail Porterfield, which we'll talk about more. But it basically ends up getting torn up and passed around the camp, like chapter by chapter, page by page. And this is a big uh, central part of this episode. Everyone's so excited to have a book. Mm Mm-hmm. Because remember, no internet, you know, the mail was slow, um, so anything to read mm-hmm. was welcome, and they had a book, a new book for the whole camp yeah. <laughs> that everybody wanted to read, so everybody was in on this, and um, at the end, what we find out is that the last page is missing with the whodunit. Yeah, it's a mystery. Yeah, it's a mystery. So we're we're missing the whodunit page. Uh, on the flip side, we see Charles's ego come out. Oh yeah, because he is just um, beside himself with these deplorable conditions. How he's being forced to operate in the dark and work in the dark, and it's not dark, but it's dim. Well, they're running out of light bulbs. Yeah, so they can't replace those quickly as they would want. And 
He's just beside himself with these archaic conditions. Um, and one thing that ends up happening is that he ends up jabbing a patient with a needle full of curare, which paralyzes him. He meant to do something else. Yeah, but he sticks him with curare instead, and so the patient can't breathe, his heart isn't working. You know, he just... Basically, he would have died if somebody hadn't done something, and Pierce and BJ were right there, and so they jumped in and saved him. And, uh, again, we just see Charles being Charles, because he's trying to kind of... He's trying to flip the script on Hawkeye toward the end of the episode. He's trying to get Hawkeye to have a reaction Mm -hmm. to what he's saying so that he can turn turn this on Hawkeye and make it his problem. Right. Because he basically does that. Hawkeye refuses to engage him, and then finally he does. And Charles just says, you just envy my skill, don't you? That's it. You envy me. So he flips the script on Hawkeye, but Hawkeye doesn't let him. Right. Hawkeye says something like, "If uh, if I was wounded, you are you are the superior surgeon. But if I was wounded, I would want Potter or, or BJ on it, mm. without a doubt." Well, why? If I'm the superior surgeon, well, because they would they would bust a gut trying to save me. You wouldn't start to sweat until after the operation was over. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it, it's very clear that in. Hawkeye's mind, and I think at this point it is true, uh, Winchester, and we see it in the the last episode, Mm -hmm. Winchester is very much about himself. Right. You know, so. Um, But yeah, a a little more specifics about this. Uh, The Rooster Crowed at Midnight is not a real book. I was disappointed to hear that (laughs) because I wanted to read it. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is thought to be based on Agatha Christie's novels. Uh, the characters in the novel include Lord Cheevers, the first murder victim, Sir Winslow, another murder victim, Lady Penelope, a woman scorned, according to Nurse Bigelow, um, Jessica, a prized thoroughbred, swift, hot-blooded, and highly responsive to the whip. <laughs> uh, Randolph, nephew of Lord Armbruster, a raging stallion. To call him merely virile would be to damn, would be to damn with faint praise. Reverend Homer Butterfield, almost ninety, or says he is. Avery Updike, the stepson of Lord Cheevers, and Maurice, a French accountant. So that is, uh, those are some of the people or the, some of the characters in that novel. But again, we never hear who does it okay um and really uh i think that's about all we really need to say about the book other than again uh they called the author they called the author she was living in was it sydney yeah australia sydney yeah in australia for the last 60 years how old is she almost 90 97 97 (laughs) We better hurry. <laughs> so they call her, and um, BJ's talking to her, and she's acting like a 97-year-old. No, no, ma'am. No, I never met Dr. Sun Yat-sen. Well, because he's Chinese, 
and he died 30 years ago. No, no, I wouldn't know where to send flowers. Miss <laughs> Porterfield, about the book, The Rooster Crowed at Midnight. Uh, so they give, or she gives him uh, the answer that Mr. Cheever's stepson, Avery Updike, must have uh, committed the murders because he was going to work his way through the will and eliminate everybody between him and the inheritance. Right. But then the second truck, uh, supply truck rolls in and it has everything that they need. But um, as they're unloading, Colonel Powder gets on the PA and says, bad news, everyone. Avery couldn't have done it because he was locked in the closet with Jessica at the time. So, I really love what happens, and it was, uh, Hawkeye said, All right, I admit it, it was me, I killed them all. And PJ goes, What about the pig? The pig was going to squeal. <laughs> the bird, the bird was going to sing. <laughs> and then he grabs Nurse Bigelow. You, I'm going to nibble on your neck, bite your ears, and then we're going to have some fun. <laughs> Where was I? Oh, yes. Mad. I'm mad, I tell you. <laughs> but that was a really neat yeah. uh, part. Yeah, so that was basically yeah, the episode. The episode wasn't, there wasn't a whole lot. It was a really good episode, but there wasn't, there's not like a lot to say about it. No. And again, like the only other thing worth pointing out in my mind is Charles and just mm -hmm. um, how he reacts to Hawkeye. And at the end, to to show that it's still about him. I think they pulled off the scene very well. To show that it's still about him. He apologizes to Hawkeye. Mm -hmm. you know, he's bandaging a patient. And he follows Hawkeye into further into post-op. And he says, I'm sorry. If he would have died, it would have been on my hands. And you know, I, I realize it was my fault. Blah, blah, blah. And Hawkeye says, Charles, you've convinced me. I can see how attached you are to your patients. Oh, he, 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 he's still Char holding the bandage. Yeah, Charles did not let go of the bandage that he was bandaging his patients with. And so Hawkeye says, do you think you can find your way back? <laughs> he had a trail. A bandage all uh, the way back to his nurse, patient. could you finish this up for me? And so it's like, okay, Charles is trying, but he's still very much self-centered. Yeah. Because otherwise you would realize yeah. that you did that. Mm-hmm. Uh, just a few other things to mention about this episode. Uh, first of all, curare. Uh, primarily as a skeletal muscle relaxant, being administered concomitantly with general anesthesia for certain types of surgeries, particularly those of the chest and abdomen. So, as I had heard somewhere else, this is this is not something you would just have laying around in post-op. Mm. I don't, you know, it, in fact, I'm pretty sure this isn't something that you would shoot into somebody, that it would instead be administered. Um, let's see here. In modern medicine, curare is classified as a neuromuscular blocking agent. Uh... Does it say? I'm trying to find out if it says how it's administered. Da, da, da. But in any event, it, you wouldn't have it just sitting around um, 
post-op. Right. There would be no call for it. So I don't know why Charles had a whole bottle of curare to shoot into the guy. Or why he wouldn't have checked the label first. Uh, that's one thing. The light that failed. So that's the title of this episode, right? Mm-hmm. Because all the light bulbs are failing. Right. However, The Light That Failed is a novel by Rudyard Kipling that was first published in 1890. Uh, Most of the novel is set in London, but many important events throughout the story occur in Sudan or India. The Light That Failed follows the life of Dick Helder, a painter who goes blind. Okay. (laughs) So there's a kind of a tie-in, I guess, in a way. Yeah. If nothing else, the title. It's got at least the title. Yeah, got at least the title. Uh, anything else before I go into the cast? And... Nope. Okay. So, uh, guest cast, we have Enid Kent as Nurse Bigelow. And I I caught this right away, even when we were in OR in the first scene. And she was saying, you know, we don't have any more surgical silk. What do we have? Clinger's sewing kit. And it's mm-hmm. like, that's Bigelow. How can you tell? Never mind. No. Sorry. It's a callback to the episode where Hawkeye went blind temporarily. Oh, okay. Where he's just, he has her by the shoulders. Okay. Oh, must be Bigelow. How can you tell? And she says, never mind. (laughs) Uh, Gary Irwin is Corporal Dobson and Philip Baker Hall as Sergeant Hacker. The episode was written by Bert Perlutsky. The director was Charles S. Dubbin. The production code was Y108, and the original air date was October 25th, 1977. Mm-hmm. So I think that does it that for does this it, week. Yeah. Thank you for subbing in for your mom. Anytime. You know, uh, I think she, do we know where she is? Is she She's flying? in New York right now. She's in New York right now? Yeah, and her flight out back to Wisconsin doesn't leave until 7.30. Mm-hmm. It is, well, 6.30 our time. It is currently 12.30, as you remember, <laughs> when the clock chimes. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, it, um, she has a while. So She's that's got why, a six-hour layover. That's why Laura's pinch-hitting here, because, um, <laughs> we, yeah. If I would have known she would have gotten to, um... New York this early, we could have Skyped her in. We could have Skyped her in, that's very true. Um, But anyway, thank you for subbing in. Ryan is waking up, so this is really good timing. Uh, We're going to go see Suicide Squad. Yeah! But um, about this podcast, if this is your first time listening to us and you really enjoyed listening to us, you can get more episodes by heading over to narclaninc.com. That's N-A-R-C-L-A-N-I-N-C.com. Go to the podcast section of the webpage. Go to the Whiskey and Mash page. And we have all the back episodes right there on the website as MP3s. Otherwise, you can search for us on Stitcher Radio, iTunes, or your favorite podcast application. Just search for Whiskey and Mash. We are on there under that name on all of those platforms. Uh, subscribe to us and then you will get every new episode downloaded to your device i assume for stitcher i'm not sure how that works actually me either but at least for podcasts and then if you want to connect with us if you want to let us know what you thought about this or any other episode you can find us on facebook facebook.com slash whiskey and mash or just email us whiskey and mash at narclaninc.com if you 
aren't sure about the spelling, you can head over to narclaninc.com. That's N-A-R-C-L-A-N-I-N-C.com. Go to the Whiskey and Mash page, and there are links right there on the page. So you can go directly to our Facebook page, or it has the email address on there as well. If you're enjoying this podcast and you would like to help support us, the best thing you could do for us right now, A, let us know you're out there and listening. You know, we will do this no matter what, but we enjoy knowing that there's an audience. Yep. Uh, B, share this podcast with somebody. Share it with somebody you know, a friend, a family member, a coworker, somebody who you think would enjoy uh, listening to us ramble on about MASH for 40 minutes (laughs) or an hour, basically. Um, But yeah. Otherwise, thank you for joining us this week. Uh, Thank you. If you're a continuing listener, thank you for joining us week after week. And we hope you have a good week. And until next time, have a good one. See ya. See ya. This is where the outro goes, outro goes, outro goes. This is where the outro goes, yippee dippee day. <laughs> I was looking at this so I could see what lighting she has above her. Okay. So that's all the stuff we've got to go pick out. It is. Have a good week, everyone. Bye. Bye.